All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and uh, talking to you uh, today is the, uh, the 21st day of March, 2017. Uh, and um, a sunny day in New York. The snow is very quickly melting, and uh, the birds are chirping, and life is good again. So, um, I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show and making this show uh, one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. I'd also like to direct you to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, to uh, consider subscribing to my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Uh, as well, you can subscribe to Chen's newsletter, chenpicks.com. Uh, you, well, you need to go to chenpicks.com, actually, to subscribe for Chen's letter. We're no longer providing that service from this office. But Chen is a good friend of mine, and I listen to what he has to say. He has some excellent ideas. He'll be on this show from time to time, uh, and we'll be sharing some of those ideas with you as well. Um, I'd like to uh, also encourage you to continue going, uh, sending your questions, comments, criticisms, and praises to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Dynasert. Inc., and I'm going to be talking to the president and CEO of Dynasert in just a few minutes from now. Uh, Golden Predator, Chilean Metals, Arvista Gold Corp., Novo Resources, Uranium Energy Corp., and RN Resources. I've titled today's show, Is the U.S. T-Bond a Judas Goat? And Peter Grandich, uh, Jim Payne, as I just mentioned, will be with us, and Michael Oliver, who coined the phrase, at least in my world, uh, the Judas Goat, the T-Bond as a Judas Goat. Very interesting concept, and uh, we'll be talking to Michael just very briefly about whether he still sees it that way, uh, the T-Bond market and some of the other markets. Some very interesting things going on today. Uh, gold is showing a great deal of strength. The dollar coming under some weakness. The euro is strong, as Michael has predicted, uh, and uh, a lot of other very interesting things going on. So we'll be talking to Michael in just a moment. Um, but we're, we're going to also talk to uh, Peter Grandich at about a half past the hour uh, to see what he thinks about the Judas Goat idea. I know Peter has turned extremely bullish from what I'm reading in his missives recently, uh, turned extremely bullish on gold. And uh, certainly the gold market has moved very nicely, despite the fact, as, uh, as Michael has pointed out, the, uh, the dollar has been strong, has been strong over the last couple of years, at least not extremely strong, but relatively strong. And in spite of that, gold has picked up a great deal of, ter- uh, of strength from its lower levels uh, a, a year or so ago. So, um, we, um, as I say, Jim Payne will be with me after the first commercial break to talk about Dynasert. That's a company that is really, well, 
it, it looks like it's ready to explode in growth. It is providing a technology that allows uh, large semi-trucks to reduce their fuel consumption by upwards to 20%, close to 20%, and reduce its emissions, uh, its, um, its, its carbon and greenhouse gas emissions very dramatically by 40 and 65% respectively. So uh, that's a story that we think has a great deal of promise. It's a stock that I own. It's a recommendation in my newsletter. So I'm looking forward to talking to Jim Payne right after the first commercial break. But right now... As always, I'm very excited to have Michael Oliver with me. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Great to be back, Jay. Always good to be back, and I just marvel at your calls. You know, if I were a short-term trader, somebody that wanted to be in the market one day and out the next or in and out the same day, you might not be who I look to, although I don't know who I would look to that's any better. But in terms of my investment strategy as an investor, as a longer-term holder of of asset classes. I don't find anybody better, and that's why I have you on every week, is at least every week it's possible for you to be on. Uh, last week, you talked about the euro as being on the brink of a major upward move vis-a-vis the dollar, and, and sure enough, we're seeing quite a move today in the last couple of days of the euro up, dollar down. Uh, where are we headed from here, Michael, and, and are there some key areas that you're looking for as breakout points? Well, yes. The, uh, I watch the euro futures and I watch the dollar index cash. Those are the two big beasts that I think you should be focused on right now. And context. Um, when you drive a car down a highway, uh, you don't just look out the front windshield. That's myopic. That's like looking at one market and judging a market on its own merits. You look out the left-right mirror, you look out the rear windshield, and, and you get a, a broader context of what's going on. Uh, in the case of gold, for example... Gold has done a lot of good for itself. Uh, registered its breakout in February of 2016. Gold miners took off at that point as well. And it did it without any help from the dollar. Uh, dollar being weak, meaning uh, dollar has instead been steadied to, to firm during that time. So gold did it all on its own. But if that euro engages, which is 57% of the dollar index, if it engages to the upside in a serious way, and I think it's likely to, uh, that's going to take the dollar index down through numbers we think are critical, uh, annual momentum trend breakage. And that starts at 99 on down. Dollar's now trading in the 99s, but not as low as 99. Uh, the euro is now at uh, 108 plus. If it gets to the very upper 108, specifically 108.85, uh, I think it's going to launch. And I, So what I'm watching is this sleepy asset category. The last year and a half, two years, the euro and the dollar, if you draw a line through their action, it's uh, the dollar's been steady to firm, but you're really not. I mean, right now the dollar's lower than the high of 2015, lower than the high of 2016. Uh, so, you know, there's really not a lot going on. The euro, same story the other way. Well, this is a huge asset category, and if it moves, if it moves significantly, it'll impact all the others. Uh, in particular, I think it'll help gold. And I also think it will give more wind at the back of a commodity upturn, which I think 2017 will exhibit handily. Uh, so I think that it's very important, even if you're not in those markets, not trading the euro or the dollar, those are important pivotal markets, uh, the left wow. and right mirror, okay? <laughs> and oh, yeah. that's, I, that's I, why I, I'm I, focused on it. Yeah, indeed. I mean, that's how we measure everything. So 
everything is measured globally in dollars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so if the dollar loses 5% of its value, you know, it means that everything else is uh, Im- impacted by that. Yeah, I would, I would look uh, for a lot more than that if it breaks that 99 level. So, uh, mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. the first phase of that, if it does break down, and I know most analysts don't think the dollar is going down. And no. we've held the view that, no, we think probably it is going down. And we base that on the ripeness and maturity of the annual momentum trend structure, which you don't see when you look at a price chart. You measure mm-hmm. it by against a three-year average or a 36-month, and you create a new, a new vision of what the dollar index looks like relative to that mean. And when you look at that, you can see extreme age, extreme technical vulnerability to the downside. And uh, it's been hugging its trend structure, its support too long without gaining ground, which indicates a market that's out of gas. All it's got to do is blow through the support structure. Another interesting, um, you mentioned T-bonds. Uh, I'm also watching the German bonds and the Japanese government bonds. So we're watching the, the developed economy government debt markets, and the rates are rising. They're rising a bit more rapidly in Europe because they were artificially suppressed too much. But when you look at a bond chart, uh, bond futures are traded. You, you lay it next to a dollar index chart, they're clones, hmm. and the bonds have broken down. So that's another indication, I think, that the dollar is going to break down because it's, you know, one of the influences on foreign exchange is relative rates of interest. Well, mm-hmm. you know, rates are rising here, but they're rising over there in Europe more rapidly because they were absurdly low levels. So it's quite possible that the rate argument, the rate rise argument, as being beneficial to the dollar, in fact, is negative for the dollar because the relative rate change over there will be more aggressive than it will be here. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with central bank policy. It has to do with market forces. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's really interesting, you know, Michael, because uh, I look at things more from a fundamental point of view. And I guess when I see your technical indicators aligning with my views fundamentally, it gives me some comfort. But if we look at your, you know, Judas Goat theory, which I think is a very colorful, interesting way of looking at uh, at the T-bonds, uh, you know, it seems to me that the talking heads, the uh, the spinmeisters, the um, you know the the people that give us what we're supposed to think on television every day, uh, from the Fed and the Treasury and everything, they're they're telling us, look, the economy is getting really quite good, and look, the uh, of course the interest rates are rising because uh, there's a strong economy out there, and I suppose there's a lot of people have been buying into that, buying the stock market. Yeah, stocks are overpriced, but. By golly, we got an extremely strong economy, and it's getting better. And the Keynesians are finally having their success. That is what you meant by the Judas goat, I guess. The T bonds well, rising rates interest rise. rates. You know, it, 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 right. This actually happened in eighty seven, nineteen eighty seven. The T bonds suffered a huge uh, decline in price, rise in yields, and the S and P ignored it. Uh, the first half of the collapse in T-bonds for like six months or so, the T-bonds went down like 20 points, T-bond futures. And the S&P said, not ah, going up anyway. It peaked mm-hmm. in August. And finally in August, it started to acknowledge the T-bond breakage, and it started to roll over, first off, gently, much like we're doing now. You know, we're all of 50, 60 points off the recent high. It's not a big collapse, a couple percent. Sure. So it could be the start of something. And at 87, uh, sure enough, the T-bonds, they didn't quit on the downside until they knocked that stock market uh, for a loop. It wasn't until the crash day the T-bonds said, okay, we're going to rally. Yeah. And because uh, there's, there's always that risk if you're short T-bonds based on an expectation of higher rates. If, if, if there's a, ever a sharp stock market sell-off, it could hurt you. <laughs> so be yeah. careful in that regard. Uh, right. But net on balance, I think T-bonds, rate, interest rate rise in the developed economies is a Judas goat leading the stock markets down. 
Yeah, well, we're seeing a pretty strong day today in the uh, bond market. I guess that what what you're talking about is money coming out of stocks going into into bonds. And as long as people believe in the system, as long as they believe that there's nothing catastrophic going on, then I guess that that back and forth action can continue, right? It's well, when there's a I loss of confidence. The bonds are going lower and rates are going higher, but you can have these brief interludes, what I would call a counter trend rally in the T bonds. I don't think that. People buying bonds now because they're afraid of stocks today, for example, yeah. is a sustainable thing. I think T-bonds are actually in a major downtrend, of meaning rising yields. And stocks are just now acknowledging maybe that fact. And they'll join hands. In, in the bigger picture, they'll be together. Bonds will decline in price. Stocks will decline in price. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that, that will match up. But in the short run, when you get those emotional moments, you can get that counter-trend bond rally like we're right. getting today, I think. Yeah. Right, just money coming out instinctively, mm-hmm. just coming out mm-hmm. some safe place to hide it for it's now. Yeah. But if there is a but if there is a sense that the bond market is really going down and interest rates are going to spike up mm-hmm. well beyond anything we've seen, there will be a panic out of the bond market and out of the equity markets until such a time, I would imagine, as things settle down and people start looking around and say, "Wow, those yields are tremendous." Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and and you know maybe they want to stay in bonds or the stock market is tanked so badly that relative to bonds it starts to look good but boy you can't make that case now I don't think no no I don't think you can it can't make the case for either because they're both overpriced I, I think mm-hmm. without a doubt at least I look at it from a fundamental point of view and then you t- you look at it from your technical point of view with just a minute left here uh, Michael let me ask you the gold and you put out a, a missive on gold today uh, what are you looking for for gold what are some key areas that we need to get through to see a higher price well the high about a month ago was uh, 1264 and then we dropped down under 1200 okay now we're up in the mid 1240s and i think if you touch 1253 and change gold's going to take out that last high in other words about 11 dollars short of that high momentum says hey, you're going to take it out and therefore at that point all the people who got bagged again in another gold correction thinking oh my gosh it's all over will be faced with a situation where gold takes out a, a recent relative high the 1264 level, and again shows them uh, it was just another correction. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I understand it's tough uh, for a lot of people who are long gold, especially if they're leveraged, um, to weather these things. But in the big picture, it's still positive. And these, these sell-offs, as nasty as some of them can be, they're all counter-trend moves to the downside. They're not part mm-hmm. of the uh, major uptrend, which I think is underway, and which I think will yeah. pick up steam, especially if the dollar breaks 99. Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. Well, okay. it's this uh, sort of longer-term vision that I have uh, that, that you're very helpful for, Michael. I want to thank you again well, thank you, Jay. Uh, for all that you've done for me and for our listeners. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again next week, hopefully. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. All right, folks. Well, don't go away. We're going to be right back after a first commercial break with Jim Payne. Very interesting company that he is heading up, Dynasert reducing uh, fuel emissions uh, from trucks and also enhancing uh, gas mileage for trucks. And very, very interesting and I think very potentially very profitable story. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Jim Payne.
Foreign Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Foreign is operated by the same team that founded Asenko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Golden Predator Mining Corp., a well-financed gold exploration company operating in Canada's Yukon. Focused on advancing its Three Aces project, a high-grade gold project located in the southeast Yukon with gold and quartz outcrops at surface. Ongoing work includes trenching, road work, drilling, and bulk sampling. Golden Predator also holds the past-producing Brewery Creek project located near Dawson City, Yukon. Golden Predator, a company working closely with Yukon First Nations. Golden Predator trades on the Canadian venture market as GPY and in the USOTC market as NTGSF. Chilean Metals is a Canadian junior exploration company focusing on high potential copper, gold prospects in Chile and Canada. Chilean Metals Zulima property is a Candelaria-like prospect, one of the largest mines in the world. The company has begun its drill program in Chile on a Zulima property and should be completed by the end of February. We also own a 3% royalty on future production on Tech Resources Copa Query property, potentially worth millions of dollars annually. This is the time to invest in Chilean Metals, a discovery story with a hedge. Traded TSX Venture under symbol CMX. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again Jim Payne. He's the president and CEO of Dynasert. It is a sponsor to our company. It's a company that I've recommended in my newsletter. It's a company that I own shares of personally uh, because I find it a very exciting prospect and a company that trades in Toronto under the symbol DYA, in the United States under the symbol DYFSF, uh, currently trading in Canadian money at 78 cents. Uh, and in U.S. money around 58 or 60 cents, somewhere in that range. Uh, 230 million shares outstanding, uh, giving it a market cap of around, uh, in U.S. money, about $135 million. Dinosaur has employed uh, rocket scientists uh, to generate a technology that's allowed, uh, enables their, their, their technology to reduce the fuel consumption for internal combustion engines and also reduces uh, carbon emissions and uh, greenhouse gases very dramatically as well. Uh, and uh, it's all very, very good. Uh, the company seems to be doing well. Uh, so we're really glad to have Jim with me. Thanks for joining me again, Jim. Thank you, Jay. You know, um, we always have new listeners on this show. So maybe just briefly give an overview of the, the two markets that you're focused on right now. Uh, and uh, give us an idea of the size of those markets, Jim. Okay, well, uh, 
JR product is a hydrogen. Our hydrogen, it's, it's our on-demand electrolysis unit that's designed for internal combustion engines. It supplies the air intake with hydrogen and oxygen gases separated. It uh, results showing increased fuel economy, increased torque, extending oil life, and a reduction in emissions. Uh, with our patented Smart ECU controller, our hydrogen unit proactively injects these periodic gases into the engine's air intake stream by mixed, uh, with mixing with the diesel fuel, increasing the amount of energy produced by the engine with each R, 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 RPM. This mm-hmm. has recently been validated through both on-road and accredited third-party testing. The hydrogen produces hydrogen and oxygen results in up to 19.2% reduction in fuel consumption, up to 40% emission reductions of greenhouse gases, and better than 65% reduction in particulate matter. Mm. Uh, we've initially we we are targeting the class eight trucks or the you know the large tractor trailers that are or the large tractors pulling the trailers around the country. Uh, that's a that's a huge market. I know that uh, you know, there's over 15 million trucks in, in just in the U.S. But uh, out of that, there's about two and a half million of those are the class eight trucks. But it's something that we were uh, you know introduced to just recently by a. Uh, one of the Canadian giants here. It's a household name in Canada. They're a major grocery chain, and they've been uh, started outfitting their fleet uh, with their units on their trucks. But then they introduced us to the reefer market, and this is something that I had never ever even thought of taking a look at. And the reefer market is actually the re- refrigerated trailers that they pull around the country, and the refrigerated containers that you see on ships and on trains. And this market is actually three and a half times larger than the truck market. Oh. I never knew that each and every one of these have a four-cylinder diesel engine inside them that runs 24-7, uh, you know, producing, uh, to, to produce the refrigeration. It's a huge market. So, like I said, they introduced us to it. Uh, we have since very quickly had our engineering team design. The engineering is done for it. The prototype is done. And uh, we're expected to go to the market with this which we call our HG2. It's, it's our, second, uh, our second unit, and it'll be, we're expecting to go to the market the third quarter of this year with that. So uh, okay. we have just recently gone to market with our, with our HG1, that is for the Class 8 trucks. Uh, we announced just a couple of weeks ago our first sale of just, a, just shy of $2 million, but uh, uh, these sales are increasing rapidly. Uh, we have already you know, shipping units, and uh, quite honestly, we're getting results reported back that by far exceeded our expectations. So we're quite excited about the, about the market and how things are moving. Well, that's, that is uh, certainly exciting, and, and as I like to say, the proof will be in the pudding when we start seeing the numbers reported through your uh, quarterly statements, Jim. But I, I, I would like to ask you a little bit about the economics of these units for, let's say, starting with your Class A trucks. Uh, how expensive are these units for the truck driver? How soon might they get a return on their investment in terms of savings of fuel? Uh, I, I don't know about the carbon tax issues, but just, just on the basis of fuel savings, uh, what are your expectations there? If it, 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 I, I guess what I'm trying to understand is the economics per truck. Well, on, on the Class 8 trucks, on uh, their... Their expectations are that they're actually looking at a payback on a long hauler. It's it's like seven to ten months. But uh-huh. on any truck, you know, their payback is is typically less than a year, just on the fuel savings. Now you take into account, you know, the uh, 
you know, the increased power, the increased torque, the extended engine life, and the extended life of the engine oil. I mean, there's so many additional you know, add-ons that it's hard to actually put a number to. Mm-hmm. Actually, one of the larger fleets that has recently been putting our units on, they've reported back to us, uh, death fluid. This is the diesel exhaust fluid that every truck in North America has to put in. Uh, their truck is actually running with 40% less death fluid uh, because, of the, because of the emissions improvement, because it's the computer huh. on the truck that's telling it how much death fluid. So yeah, that in itself, and, and they started you know, just telling us the numbers on that, and, uh, and that again, I mean, that increases the payback or certainly ex- expedites the payback very significantly. All right. Why would, I mean, I'd like to ask, why would trucking firms not use this? And is there any competition out there, Jim, that might, that might make people go, you know, make truck drivers, make trucking firms go somewhere else? Well, I, I'm certainly not going to pretend that there's no competition out there. I'm sure that there is uh, companies out there, you know, that have been trying to take different hydrogen units to the market for several years. But I would dare say the one thing that separates us from anything it is our smart ECU. Our smart ECU. This is patent pending technology. This is this is the brain behind our technology, and we were certainly fortunate to bring on a gentleman to our team a couple of years ago, and he has been focused on developing this and getting the patents on this. But this in itself, what this does is it, it determines the flow rates of gases. One thing we learned over the years. I mean, you can't just set you know put something on and expect it to to just keep, you know, continuously hitting that sweet spot because there uh-huh. are thousands of different, you know, conditions, whether it's weather, whether it's, it's altitude, whether it's the size of the load, the torque. Uh, I mean, it just goes on and on and on where now our unit actually, it's a smart, it's just like a smartphone. This thing is learning mm-hmm. all the time and learning, you know, what the flow rates are required to, to get the maximum burn. I see, and I think it also provides the data feedback uh, that uh, that provides information to the truck drivers, and uh, I think you can also keep track of the uh, uh, of the environmental issues as well, the the carbon emissions and so forth. Is that right? You're absolutely right, and that's you know that is certainly you know an added feature. I mean, it's it's like a fleet management system, but it's like a fleet management system plus plus. It does. It, it measures the fuel savings. It measures the reduction in emissions, and then it converts it to carbon credits. Carbon credits. Right now, it's still, you know, an unknown just how this is going to play out in North America. But I know certainly in the Canadian market, the Canadian government is taking a very strong stand towards this. You look in the European market. I mean, carbon credits are a commodity that's traded on the stock market. So that again will be a huge added feature. Yeah, I mean, it's something I would imagine then people are going to, uh, an added reason why they must have one of these units in order to, uh, uh, to keep track of that sort of thing if the government's put that, uh, put that into law. Uh, Jim, I know that you have uh, some sales targets for this calendar year. Uh, you've talked to me about them. Uh, are you free to share those with us for Class A trucks? And then, as you mentioned, your refrigeration truck uh, units are coming into play, you expect, in the third quarter. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you're, uh, what your targets are this year for sales for the company? Absolutely. Uh, actually, as you know, our EGM is actually coming up just on Friday. So we've sat with the entire team and we've put together a projection model for this year. And we have gone to great extents to try and keep this thing very conservative and kept stepping it down and stepping it down because the numbers get very staggering. But uh, 
our expectation in the trucking market, uh, you know, by the, in the second quarter this year that we will, uh, in North America, we'll be selling 3,000 units. Uh, third quarter is 6,000 units, and the fourth quarter is 12,000 units. And then we look at the, the other market, the reefer market, or the H2 market. Uh, our expectations are in the third quarter this year that we put 1,200 in, out in the market and 3,000 in the fourth quarter. So if you add all those up, just that wholesale, I mean, that, that equates to just, just shy of $180 million in sales this year. So wow. going from just, just starting sales, you know, within the last month, uh, you know, this is quite a, quite a significant run. Uh, but like I said, you know, we've really tried to be very conservative you know, and very realistic with this. So you will be looking at uh, a very small percentage of the market if you attain those levels of sales this year, I suppose. And also, Jim, you talked to me about a 60% gross margin. Is that still in your thinking for both those products? It is. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, people can do the math. It's pretty staggering. If you're able to hit those numbers, I can't imagine uh, this isn't a stock that's going to rise very dramatically. With just a couple of minutes left, Jim, you've talked about the other applications and some of these uh, the refi you mentioned is three times bigger, I think you said, than trucks. But you also are looking at ships and trains, uh, remote locations for diesel fuel, uh, fuel power plants, and that and so forth. Um, just, just, mom- just uh, briefly, tell us what the size of those markets are relative to the uh, to the truck markets. Well, they're they're certainly not as large numbers as the truck markets, but certainly they are. They are ten times greater in the in the dollar market, uh, you know, and and also for the payback for the for the fleets and everything. Now, this is mm-hmm. something that we are definitely working towards is going into the into the shipping, rail, and power generation. Uh, now, the smaller average size power generation, we're actually penetrating that now. We will actually be announcing something very shortly concerning that. But uh, but with the shipping and the rail. It is uh, it is something that's going to take a little longer. We're not expecting to get that to the market till early next year. Um, but when we you know when we penetrate the market with something like that, I mean you get into the huge power generators. I mean like a unit like that is a half million dollar unit, as opposed to something in the trucking world that's like short of ten thousand dollar unit. Yeah, um, Jim. What um, I know you have some really good management personnel around you as well. Uh, David Bridge, your chief operating officer, Gonzalo Lobby, uh, products development. Could you talk to us just briefly with with one minute left uh, about your management team? Because it's not just about you. You have some really good technical people uh, that you're building this company around in the manner you're manufacturing these units, you're selling them, and so forth. Just just mention to us briefly, if you would, please. Well, we have certainly, you know, over the last couple of years, really strengthened our team, and, and even in the last year, and we will be introducing some additional people to our team at the AGM this Friday. But, uh, uh, you know, from from the management side, you know, you're right. I mean, you know, David Bridge you know, brings a wealth of knowledge in the, in the technology side or in the technical side. Uh, I mean, he came from, he was one of the original developers from Virgin Mobile and then with RIM, and uh, then we... Uh, Managed to get in. First of all, he came over as a consultant to the company. Fell in love with the company, and and has came on full time. We have now got another gentleman, uh, you know, that is uh, very, very highly recognized in the engineering uh, world. That is uh, taking a very strong and full time active role within the company. Uh, and then our board. I mean, we've really strengthened our board. 
Jean-Pierre Collins, is a gentleman that uh, uh, just joined our board recently. He's the newest one on our board. He comes from the from the uh, investment banking world. You know, years of experience there. Uh, he, he's actually going to be presenting this Friday. Uh, then we have just recently brought on a new CFO and a new director in finance. I mean, both these gentlemen, the CFO has over 30 years experience in the public world and working with large, large companies. Uh, and then our, our new director of finance has over 20 years experience, actually worked with Fortune 500 manufacturing in the, uh, in the automotive world. So our team has continually strengthened uh, and then, obviously, I mean, you know, within the manufacturing side, I think we've hired an additional 30 people on staff. Like, I walk through the place now, and the place is, uh, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of people working hard. I don't know any of them by name, but, uh, but it's certainly encouraging to see this all happening. Well, it certainly is. I've been following your company now for a few years, and uh, to see it come to fruition is is very exciting. And and I would imagine with a company that that has prospects for 180 million of sales this year, you do have to have a management team. You can't just it can't just be you alone, Jim, and you and a couple of other people. Well, I want to thank you very much for being with us. I guess people should keep their eyes on news coming out of your AGM this Friday, and uh, for drivers that might really take this stock to much higher levels this year, right? Eh? Absolutely. And your website, so people can go and learn more, is dinosert.com? That is correct. Uh, all right. Very good. All right. Thanks very much, Jim, for being with us. We'll look to do, uh, do it again sometime in the near future. Thank you very much. Well, folks, don't go away. Coming up next after the break, Peter Grandich will be with me. Uh, we're going to ask him about this uh, Judas Goat idea and his views on the markets. And uh, I know he's turned quite bullish on gold. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Peter Grandich. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Speck Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbol NVO and NSRPF, respectively. Dynasert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. Arvista Gold's only asset is the Douay Gold Project, which is located in northern Quebec. The Douay Project currently hosts an NI43101 resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be the largest undeveloped and independent gold project in Quebec. Arvista has significant upside potential to further grow its resources and is currently undergoing an extensive 2017 drill campaign. Arvista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA and on the OTCQB under the symbol ARVSF. For more information on Arvista, please visit arvistagold.com. 
Uranium Energy Corps, NYSE Market, UEC, is a leader in the coming bull market in uranium. With spot uranium up more than 40% in two months, the new bull market is just starting. UEC has the cash, the licensed resources, the permitted processing center, the advanced technology, and the experienced team to lead this market. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting uraniumenergy.com. NYSE Market, UEC. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me a longtime friend uh, and fellow traveler uh, on the investment circuit, Peter Grandich. And I first met Peter about 30 years ago. He was most unusual person from the start, having not even a high school education. And he did have, it, you know, Peter, if you talk to him, he's one of these D's, Doe's, and Demers guys. He's from, he has this heavy Bronx accent and Let's just say he wasn't the typical guy that you find working on Wall Street. You know, the guys with the Ivy League degrees and uh, strutting about and, um, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed guys. He was he, he had just uh, correctly, however, in spite of his lack of education, forecasted the stock market crash of 1987. And somehow, just one day later, had the insight to suggest the stock market would go back to new all-time highs within two years. He predicted it, and it happened. A profit, you might say, of sorts, because by the definition of a profit is someone who predicts something and it actually happens. Well, this and other accurate forecasts led him to being widely seen all over the national media. He was on television quite frequently, uh, into the international speaking circuit, and that's where I met up with Peter um, over the years in Vancouver and Toronto and San Francisco and other major cities in North America. Peter would become recognized for his expertise in metals and mining, and um, he managed some hedge funds and even a mutual fund that bared his name, and he specialized in mining and metals uh, shares. But unlike most people that I met uh, in the many years of, the, of this business, uh, Peter could be both bullish and bearish uh, on, on the markets. In fact, I would sometimes sit in on Peter's, uh, on Peter's talks and I'd say, no, Peter, no, no, that's not what I want to hear. Don't don't say that. And I knew Peter well enough to know it wasn't necessarily what he wanted to hear, but he was always objective, and he would tell you what he believed, even if it wasn't self-serving. And that's one of the reasons that I've had a great deal of respect for him. Um, you know, he he's Peter's had his own issues, his own demons, you might say. I've had mine uh, as well. We all have issues in our lives that are that pose difficulties. He had. Uh, panic attacks and uh, suffered from depression uh, and at the point of hospitalization at one point. And I, I remember Peter struggling with some of those issues in Vancouver on one time specifically. But through all of that, the good Lord shaped a good Christian man. I, I feel confident in saying that, knowing Peter as I do. A few years back, uh, he felt uh, that he was being called to give up um, 
his fame and fortune on Wall Street and focus solely on Christian-related work and recreation. And he has been deeply involved with Christian sports ministries, having served both the New York Yankees and New York Giants for 13 years, doing Bible study and chapel with them. He sits on the National Board of Catholic Athletic Athletes for Christ, Catholic Athletes for Christ, and now focuses all his business interests in the world of retirement, business, and estate planning in an absolutely lovely New York, I should say New Jersey, forgive me, Peter, uh, shore town called Spring Lake, and it's a place I know Peter's invited Mrs. Taylor and me to go to. We just haven't gotten to it, but I'm hoping to sometime this spring. And I noticed Peter speaking most enthusiastically recently about gold in a blog he still writes for his clients, and, and knowing his past track record in that area, I ask him again uh, to come on today, and I'm especially t- excited to talk to him today because, well, you know, they say a broken clock is right twice a day, and I've been one of those broken clocks that have been bullish, a permabull on gold, and now when Peter's coming around to saying he's bullish on gold, well, maybe I've just got it right again. Thanks for joining me again, Peter. Uh, Jay, it's an absolute honor and a privilege, and I could use one hand in 30-something years of people that I would say that I would go and see without question, and you're one of them, so it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you, Peter. Well, uh, you know, you put out a missive this morning uh, saying that um, I'm trying to keep my word to discuss financial markets more without falling into the trap of my yesteryear lifestyle. Um, Maybe I sort of, in my introduction of you, alluded to that, but talk to us a little bit about that, and how do we... You know, it's a very tempting world we live into. Uh, we live in, and how can we keep on the straight and the narrow? How can we keep balance between the necessities of life, doing what we need to do, and avoiding this sort of desire to be rich and famous and powerful that are temptations that I know I've I've faced in the past? How can we keep on the straight and narrow? I guess. So, if we were able to do it and do it. Uh, without ever failing, then there would have been no need for Christ to come and die on the cross, as far as I know you and I are at least concerned. So sure. we are, we are going to fall short of that, and, and, and that's one of the many reasons what took place at the cross occurred. Uh, for me, uh, at the end of 2013, uh, I made a, uh, a, 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 at the time, viewed a difficult decision, but now I fully understand why uh, to leave... Uh, the world I had grown accustomed to, uh, uh, the metals and mining industry and uh, consultant work on that, and, and as you noted, focused in a very small segment in a, in a much different type of lifestyle. Uh, I stopped any and all advisory service or um, handling people's finances in any way except I maintained an insurance license and I'm part of a group, and if people do some sort of insurance, I get compensated that way. But that was certainly a dramatic change for the previous 25 or so years before that. And now into my fourth year, uh, I, I found myself at the latter part of last year falling a little bit back into the old trap of talking about markets again and even tempting to, to trade them again. And, and I, I feel I caught myself and certain spiritual things happened to help me catch myself. But I found that when I did fall back into that trap, a whole bunch of people I had heard from in a long time who were following the blog wrote, hey, I'm so glad you're doing this. I hope you could do this more and this, that, and the other. And, and so 
I felt I met them somewhere, I don't know if in the middle of the road, and said that I would certainly comment more than the odd time that I had been for the last few years, but please don't get expectations to be an advisory service again or anything of that nature. And so, uh, as you noted uh, in, in, in a commentary this morning, and certainly over the last few months, uh, I've been very keen on what was happening in the gold market. And again, unlike three or four years ago when it could be viewed that there was prejudicial reasons because I was rep- representing some public mining companies or what have you, or as you said, peering at a mining show where, you know, many of the other speakers were, you know, always one-sided. Uh, there is no prejudice here other than my own personal investments. And there's no way that me speaking about this is going to move my personal investments and, uh, and have an impact on the market. But nevertheless, uh, I have to say, Jay, that uh, I don't remember, although at our age and our memory is not the easiest that we once had. But <laughs> Tell me about what it. What I can yeah. recall, I guess that's the way to say it, is that I never remember feeling more bullish uh, than I do now on gold. I, I really think a lot of things have come together, Jay, uh, at a time. And, and, and the first, and, and then I'll pause in whatever questions you have, I'll be glad to answer. I think the first most important thing is probably something that even people that may share of you that are listening uh, don't ask themselves. And I think this is the first and most important thing about why I'm bullish on gold. And that is, no one's asked the overwhelming number of so-called experts and financial journalists who for the last few years have written more bearish articles in that time frame calling for the end of gold for it to be substantially below a thousand it's a relic it should never be owned all the stories that you could google and see that have just been written in the last two or three years the first thing we need to ask is what did they get wrong and what else could go in supposedly their favor to help them achieve what they felt should happen, and yet it's going in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. I think that's the single biggest bullish factor. And the way I like to compare it is because, as you noted, I've been so involved in sports, and and you don't have to be, and if you're just a fan, that it's kind of like you've watched this game where at the onset they talked about one team really shouldn't be on the same field. They just don't measure up. They, they really are uh, an inferior a product, so to speak. But somehow it's the third and fourth quarter, and they're not only in the game, they're about to take the lead or they've taken the lead. Or in a boxing match where one is so much more dominant that no one expects it to go more than a couple of rounds and suddenly find ourselves in the 11th to 12th round. And that person that had no chance is actually winning and knocking around the champ. And that's what I think has happened with gold when you compare it to what the world has certainly advocated for the last few years, financial assets, that despite all of that and all the things we're told that aren't good for it, a rising dollar, rising interest rates, interest in equity, so-called a man that was going to come in and solve everything in the United States, and the world problems weren't really something to be worried about. Yet here we sit today, uh, and as we talk... Uh, gold had another great up day, and financial assets aren't, you know, having the best today. So I think there's a lot more, but I think that's a good start to, for for a reason to be bullish on gold right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I would just uh, make a couple of comments based on what you just said uh, earlier, Peter, uh, about not being biased. Now, I, I don't think you ever were 
that bias. Sure, you wanted to see the companies that you had an interest in do well, but I think that may be one of the reasons you struggled with depression is this conflict between knowing what was right and wrong and, and, and being forced out of your own conscience to say things that weren't necessarily what if you were trying to get people to buy the stocks uh, of companies that you were involved with, it wasn't necessarily the right thing to say, but you said it anyway. I can remember when you turn bearish on metals and you say, look, this is the way I see it. I think equities are going to be stronger for a while now, and I don't think gold is looking particularly good. I remember you saying things, and I said, no, Peter, I don't really want to hear that, but you said it anyway. The other thing I would say is that you have a gift and I think God wants you to use that gift, Peter. And you know, if you you have a sense, a street sense, smart, a, a smart, a street smart sense of what's happening in markets, that allowed you way back when, when you first made an, when you when you when you first became known in the markets, uh, for a sense of what's going on in society. I mean, you've made this this comment about how Americans have to hang on to everything and go higher storage space and you know how, what, what insanity and I think you know the way we live our lives we 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 run around like madmen trying to make more money so we can buy more stuff that we never use or never need and we have to then put it in storage units so I think in a way what you've done is come back in your own life to a more simple life a life in which you're happier uh, but it is still I, I agree it's it's a constant struggle to maintain that sort of um, modesty or uh, lifestyle that that will allow you to be who God created you to be, I would say, you know. So, but I but at the same time, you have a gift, and you probably should be using that. And and to the extent that you can opine and help your readers understand where the you know understand your views of the markets, which are which are worth listening to. I must say, I I always enjoy listening to them. But let, let's talk about a little bit about this equity market because it. And Michael Oliver, who was on us on with us just a few minutes ago, uh, really believes that we're getting close to a major decline in equities, and he's turning very bullish on gold and his views on the dollar too. I mean, he's looking at the euro, which is breaking through, uh, very near breaking through on the upside, which is very bearish for the dollar, given that 57 percent of the index is is the euro. What are your thoughts on some of these markets now, Peter? Just opined on gold. You believe gold is very very strong. Uh, what about some of these other markets? Sure. So, uh, real quick, just to address something you just said, uh, it was like uh, the Holy Spirit just speaking to me through you, Jay. You're right. One of the difficulties for years was a feeling of sense of over-responsibility, even though I knew most of the companies I worked with were not likely to be successful, and I try to make that as clear as possible, there was always that that struggle internally. Mm-hmm. I couldn't turn it off, and you're correct. But finally, removing myself from it really gave me a sense of peace that didn't exist while I was doing that. And, mm-hmm. and two, you're also right, and that was even the more larger argument that came, that people kept saying I wasn't using the gift that I had, that I got away from to where maybe once a month I might have said something very little bit about the market and people said, Pete, why don't you go back to at least once a week? So it just coming, knowing the, the Christian man you are and knowing the interrelationship we've had for 30 years, I have to tell you this is one of the most enjoyable conversations because I know God used this conversation, Jay, to speak for you to me. So I just wanted to tell you that publicly. Now, to answer uh, your question, I took the most unusual move about two weeks ago. And again, strictly for myself, I don't have 
anybody's self-interest but my own. But I do know it uh, for those that care to, to know about it. And I actually shorted the market, and it might have been only the third or fourth time. So I, I concur with the gentleman that you spoke earlier. I think the market is in a very dangerous, precarious position. I, I had stated last year there were three things driving the equity market, and until at least one of them changed, it would probably likely still go higher. The first was the unbelievable amount of uh, paper that was being created through, there through these quantitative easing programs, not only here in the U.S., but around the world. Uh, there was just so much money being created and, and, and sticking in Wall Street and not going to Main Street. The second was chasing yield with the uh, baby boomer uh, reaching retirement age, there was such a quest and thirst and a need for yield. And because of what happened to interest rates, so much of that money started to come into the equity market in higher risk dividend paying type stocks versus bonds. And mm-hmm. then third was, the, which the first two helped create, was this only game in town mentality that there really was no other place to invest. And those were the three things that I argued was propelling the market higher. Well, I think at least one of them is cracked. I think the Fed has moved somewhat away from that, and we're likely to see soon uh, the European Central Bank move away from a totally accommodative flood the markets at this point in time. Uh, the second thing, I think much of the chase in the yield is over. It's been exhausted. That money had put into use, and the problem now is is that it's very hard to sustain equities from general fundamentals. No matter mm-hmm. how you look at them, whether you use the Sheeler Cape Index, which suggests you know some overvaluation unseen except maybe in 29 and one other bad time, if you look at all uh, normal ways of valuation, uh, you can't make an argument to and buy a bunch of general equities and certainly bonds. I, I even said and, and, and didn't realize there was still actually a few people listening to me. I talked in a previous comment from a week ago that how anybody can go out and buy a Bundesbank yielding four-tenths of one percent and not think it's a screaming short. Well, people would start to email me, should I short the, the German bond? No, I don't want people to do that. But we, we've come so overswung to one side of the pendulum. It's basically 180 degrees from where you and I first entered. I know you mm-hmm. entered a little earlier than me in the mid to late 70s. I entered in yep. the early 80s. But if we went back and read and thought how everybody was thinking back then, we're about 180 degrees different. Then stocks were dead. Uh, you had to own gold and all these other things. Now it's it swung the pendulum, I think, as far as it can to one side. And when it starts to swing, it's not going to just swing a little back. It's going to swing for a long time. I think when we do finally cave and we cave in a substantial wave, I don't think this time there's anything that will drive it back up anytime soon. I think for a lot of years, at least as long as the good Lord is probably going to have for you and I, Jay, left on this earth, uh, that we're not going to see another general equity bull market in our lifetime. Well, I, that remains to be seen, but I, I you know, the, the, um, the hourglass, uh, the, the sand in the hourglass is running down. I will have my 70th birthday uh, this, uh, this Saturday, Lord willing, and uh, so we know that our lives are, are finite, in, at least as they exist in the four dimensions of time and space, and uh, that's a reality that we have to reckon with now. We're out of time. Peter, thank you very much for your insights. 
uh, and and your and sharing your personal uh, testimony with us today. It's uh, always good to hear from you, and we'll look forward to doing it again sometime in the near future. Well, folks, that is all the time we have today. And uh, next week, Kevin Duffy, a hedge fund manager, will be with us. Uh, Michael Oliver again, hopefully, and uh, also we'll be talking to the CEO of one of my favorite juniors, Golden Predator. So until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Dinosert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. Golden Predator Mining Corp., a well-financed gold exploration company operating in Canada's Yukon. Focused on advancing its Three Aces project, a high-grade gold project located in the southeast Yukon with gold and quartz outcrops at surface. Ongoing work includes trenching, road work, drilling, and bulk sampling. Golden Predator also holds the past-producing Brewery Creek project located near Dawson City, Yukon. Golden Predator, a company working closely with Yukon First Nations. Golden Predator trades on the Canadian venture market as GPY and in the USOTC market as NTGSF. Chilean Metals is a Canadian junior exploration company focusing on high potential copper, gold prospects in Chile and Canada. Chilean Metals Zulima property is a Candelaria-like prospect, one of the largest mines in the world. The company has begun its drill program in Chile on a Zulima property and should be completed by the end of February. We also own a 3% royalty on future production on Tech Resources Copa Query property, potentially worth millions of dollars annually. This is the time to invest in Chilean metals, a discovery story with a hedge. Traded TSX Venture under symbol CMX. Arvista Gold's only asset is the Douay Gold Project, which is located in northern Quebec. The Douay Project currently hosts an NI43101 resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be the largest undeveloped and independent gold project in Quebec. Arvista has significant upside potential to further grow its resources and is currently undergoing an extensive 2017 drill campaign. Arvista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA and on the OTCQB under the symbol Symbol ARVSF. For more information on Arvista, please visit arvistagold.com.